All right. Good morning again. Uh, glad you guys are here. Hey, if you um, were, have been here the past couple of weeks, you heard us talking about an opportunity to go and serve at a place called Beauty for Ashes. And so if you were able to come out uh, yesterday and be part of that group that came out to serve and uh, just to clean up the, the, the grounds and all that kind of stuff, I want to say thank you on behalf of, uh, of our church and as a pastor because uh, that, that meant so much to the people that were there and uh, made such a, a difference. And I know it's a sacrifice to do that. Not everybody was able to go out there, but I want to encourage you. Then uh, things like that, they make a big, uh, a big difference. And and I know that with every sacrifice, there's always a, a potential drawback or, or a bigger sacrifice. And so for me, that sacrifice was uh, going out and blowing leaves and dust for about three hours, and then having to preach the next day. So you'll have to forgive me if I'm. If I'm uh, kind of coughing or uh, if I don't sound 100%, um, but that's kind of where, where we are today. But it was worth it because of what God did. And um, I think any time that we say yes to God, God always blesses us as much as we bless other people. And, and that's really, you know, as I was thinking this week, as I wanted to begin, that's, that's what's been on my mind. Is the, the power of, of what can happen when we say yes to God. Um, this, this season, this couple weeks season is a really important one for, uh, for me and my family. Um, three years ago on October 17th, we received a call from, um, our adoption, uh, counselor, um, at Bethany Christian Services. We've been in the process of, of, um, getting, uh, prepared to adopt and we were waiting for referral and, uh, I got a call, uh, from them that a little girl had been born, uh, down in Richmond. And she, uh, uh, at this time was about seven days old and, and that the, her birth mom had, uh, wanted to talk to us about praying through, uh, becoming her adoptive parents. And, and on that day, on the 17th, um, that next 10 days was crazy. And then, uh, on the 28th, which is coming up next week, um, that'll be the three year anniversary that Layla came home. Uh, with us and and that's the power not about you know zach and Kristen, and our family but man i tell you that's the power of what happens when we say yes to god you know god uses ordinary people and he does extraordinary things through them and, and i can say that in humility because if if we have blessed her life in any way it pales in comparison to what she's done for us and what god's done throughout this process and as i was thinking about this that story and thinking about today and, and where we're going to talk and, and as we walk through the book of Acts, you know, I was thinking about this. You know, has generosity ever changed your life? You know, somebody's generosity ever made this, a, a difference in your life in such a way that maybe, maybe they met a need that you weren't sure was going to get met. Maybe they met, uh, uh, they gave you hope when you felt like there was no hope to be found or, you know, whatever it was. You know, for us, part of that adoption story was seeing the, the, the reality of, of how others' generosity can, can help us out. Now, here's what I mean by that. If you don't know much about adoption, one of the biggest reasons why couples and, and individuals and families are, are hesitant to answer that call to adoption is because adoption is expensive. Um, we all know kids are expensive. Right. I mean, you know, all the statistics about, you know, how many millions of dollars are going to cost for every kid by the time they get to 18 and then college and all that kind of stuff. Like, you know, we listen, being a parent is a sacrifice, but there's a lot more on the front end of adoption in terms of cost than maybe than maybe, you know, uh, other ways of having, having kids. And so for us, that was one of the things we were trying to figure out. We were like, all right, God, how are you going to provide for us? Because, you know, we'd saved up some, but we know that there's a financial side to this that. That we're going to be asking you to provide, God. We'll say yes, and we're trusting that you'll say yes, I'll provide on the way back. 
And so we saved up, we sold t-shirts, we had people donate to our, our accounts and our cause and all that kind of stuff. And, and I got to tell you, there, there were a couple of times throughout that, that process, and I was thinking back on this this week, that, that I was blown away by somebody's generosity. Like every gift mattered. But then there were a couple of times where God led some people to give some gifts to that process and to encourage us and help us out that, that I know was a huge sacrifice for them. And, and then I, as I think back about that, I'm, my, my heart is still blessed and encouraged today because of the generosity of others. Because see, when, when we said yes to adoption, other people said yes to helping us with adoption. And when we say yes to God, it's amazing what God can do. And that's really at the heart of, of this series that we're in, talking about Jesus' people, the, the first followers of Jesus. And we're reading their story, and we're following their story in Acts chapter 1 through 7. And, and we're looking at people that God used, ordinary people that God used in extraordinary ways. That's the underlying big idea of the whole series. And why God used them, and, and why they were able to be used by God, was because they were willing to say yes to whatever it was that God had before them. Now, these aren't perfect people. We're going to see an example today of people that, that are the example we don't want to be in some ways. But when we say yes to God, God can take ordinary people and do extraordinary things. When we say yes to God in big ways and small ways, what may seem a big way to us or seem a small way to us, God can use us to change the lives of other people. I'm reminded about that when I think about our family's adoption story. And I'm reminded about that when I see more and more about how these first Jesus people lived out their faith in God. So if you have a Bible, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 4. That's where we're going to be today. And we're going to look at a, a good amount of Scripture and, um, and come back to this, this point. Because I believe that as we're looking at how God used these first Jesus people, what He created within them, the, their characters and their characteristics and their heart for Him, their willingness to say yes to Him, God wants to do the same, and God can do and will do the same in our lives. And so let's look at this passage and see another way, another thing we see about these first Jesus people. Look at Acts chapter 4, verse 32. It's also on your, on your note sheet if you're taking notes. You want to look at that on the back of your worship guide. It says this, that all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. From time, for from time to time, those who owned land and houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. So we see that... that, that Luke, the writer of Acts, is, is telling us again about the generosity of these first Jesus people. This isn't the first time he talked about it. If you go back to Acts chapter 2, verse 44 and 45, he, he tells a similar thing. He says, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. So these first Jesus people, says from time to time, this was a voluntary thing. This wasn't like ancient biblical communism. You know what I mean? It wasn't like communal ownership, like, like I don't have any ownership or say over my stuff. It was the fact that in their life, on a voluntary basis, as God would lead them, 
they would take things that they had, money, property, possessions, they would sell those, bring that money to the apostles, the leaders in the church, and they would use that money to make sure that others in the church and the community had what they needed. That they, they had this reality that they, they viewed what they had not just as theirs, but they viewed it as God's. And if God said, I want you to share what you have, then they wanted to share that. And they were known for this generosity. It says that they were one in heart and mind. That they had this love, this concern, this compassion for the others in their faith community and the others in the area around them. See, that they began to live out what they believed to be God's call from ancient times. Back in Deuteronomy, back in the Old Testament, God said this to the Jewish people, the Israelites, about how they were supposed to live and how they were supposed to be known and what they were supposed to do and how they were supposed to view the stuff that they had had in their life. And it says this, Deuteronomy 15.4, However, there need be no poor people among you, for in the land the Lord your God is giving you to possess as your inheritance, He will richly bless you. God said, listen, I'm going to give you what you need, but it's not just for you. When I bless you, I want you to understand that part of why I bless you is so you'll be a blessing to other people. And so these Jesus people, being Jewish, that's what their, their heritage, they knew this passage. They knew God's desire was that his people would use what they had to care for the other people around them. And so they began to live that out. And it says that they lived it out in such a powerful and real way that there were no needy people in this community of believers. That they used what they had to make a difference to meet the needs for other people. And that's one of the things they were known for. And what we see is that throughout history, not only did they see this call to give, this call of generosity as something to give only to the other believers... They saw this as something that they were to do to give to those in need all around them. But so here's the question. Because I read that, and I look at it and I go, man, I want to be more like that. But if I'm honest with you, I'm not always the first to be generous. I don't wake up in the morning some days and go, God, how can I give to somebody else what you've given me? Because I fall victim to, to what everybody falls victim to. And it's this reality that when we're born, and if you have kids, you know this to be the truth. When we're born, there's a word that they develop that you don't have to teach them. It's called mind. One of, a kid's first word is mind. And naturally, there's something about us that we want to keep what we believe to be ours. That's why we have to try to teach our kids to share. That's why we're always telling our kid, hey, share this, share that, you know, hey, let them play with that. Let them have a turn. And they don't like that. Why? Because it's not natural in this sinful brokenness of our world. To, it's not natural to always think, hey, how can I take what I have and give that to somebody else? That the natural thing, if we're honest, is to be focused on ourselves. Well, so why is it that these believers began to live out something different than what was natural for them? Well, look at what he said in 43 or 33 and 34. He said, Luke, Luke writes, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. See, if we're going to live as Jesus people, we've got to have Jesus, right? If we're going to live as followers of Jesus, we've got to believe and trust in Jesus. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. That without God's spirit living and dwelling alive and empowered in us, we don't have what it takes to live out God's design, 
to live out God's desire. That's why we need Jesus and His grace to come in to forgive our sin, to begin to heal our brokenness. And while as followers of Jesus, if you put your faith and trust in Him like I have, every single day, if I'm going to live what God calls me to do and how He calls me to live, I have to depend on not my own strength and ability. I have to depend on what God can do and will do within me. That's why we talk so much about it's not enough just to show up to church on a Sunday and then feel like you're going to have power to live for God Monday through Saturday. We've got to depend on him every single day. And Peter and Luke, I mean, Luke points this out, that the reason they were generous was because God's power was at work in them. That the Holy Spirit made possible in them that which without him is impossible. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. And so the thing we want to look at today about these Jesus people is this. I want you to write this down. Is that Jesus people are giving. Jesus people are giving. If we're going to see in this passage a characteristic about these followers of Jesus, it's this. That Jesus people are giving. That as followers of Jesus, we're called to be people who give. We're called to be people who embrace a lifestyle of generosity who view the things that we have as things that are not just given to us by God for us, but that God has at times a bigger plan and a bigger purpose for even how he wants to use what he gives to us. And so Luke then gives two examples, a positive example of a real live person doing this, but then he also gives an example of somebody who chooses and made the decision not to be generous. And then he says, listen, Without saying it, you have to choose which person you're going to follow. Because each one is going to have a certain outcome and a certain reality for your life. Let's kind of follow along. Look at verse 36. Luke gives an example. Now, why do you give examples? Well, Luke gives us an example because it's important for us to see that this is something that real people can actually do. It's so easy to talk in generalities about God's word and about God's truth. But it's something where Luke says, listen, you're called to be generous. These people were giving. Let me give you a specific example. So you can see, especially in the context of the people that were there, you know who this guy is. You know about him. You can see he's just like you and me. But he said yes to God. And because he said yes to God, look what God has done. On the flip side, I'm going to give you an example of somebody who didn't say yes to God. And see how that went. It says this in verse 36. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So he gives an example of this guy Barnabas. It's what he was known as his nickname. And Barnabas was an example of somebody who gave in a selfless way. Just earlier Luke said that they would, from time to time, as God led, it was completely voluntary. There was no coercion. There was no pressure. They would sell what they had and they would give the money to the apostles and put at the apostles' feet. Excuse me. And so we see Barnabas was a guy that did that. And he uses him as an example of what this really looks like for somebody to do. That No, 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 not just everybody did it, but this specific person did it. But then he gives another example. A couple named Ananias and Sapphira. And they're an example not of selfless giving. They're an example of selfish giving. Let's read their story. Now, I'll be honest with you, okay? There's certain passages of Scripture that as a pastor, I would kind of like to skip over from time to time. Like, I love talking about the grace of God. 
the love of God, how Jesus healed people, how he made little, you know, people who were blind see and how he fed 5,000 people without a, with a little boy's lunch. I'm not as keen about having to preach on passages like this because they're difficult, but I think we have to because they're in God's word. So let's kind of just give you a little context. Let's kind of walk through this. It says this. So now a man named Ananias together with his wife, with his wife Sapphira also sold a piece of property. So we see the same thing happening. Somebody sells a piece of property, they, they do with what they have, they get rid of that, they sell it, and then they bring that to the apostles, to the church, as an offering for others. It says this, look at verse 2. With his wife's full knowledge, now that's important to remember, this was a joint decision, okay? With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, here's what we need to understand about how that is originally written. That, that this idea of to kept back or to keep back was a deceitful thing. That it wasn't that he was honest and he said, listen, I'm going to sell this property. I'm going to keep 20%. God, you're going to get 80% of it. He said, listen, he showed up at church that day and he said, I sold a piece of property and I'm giving everything that I earned to you. He came deceiving God. He came tricking God. He came putting on an appearance that wasn't the real reality. And so he did this in a way where he was selfish. He was not motivated by the right thing. He wanted all the praise, all the accolades, all the attention, but he didn't want the obedience. He didn't want the sacrifice. And so he shows up, he comes down to the church and he says, okay, listen, I sold a piece of property. Here's all the money that I earned. And in a way kind of saying, look at me, everybody liked that Barnabas did this. Hey, I've done it too. Now, here's what happens. Then Peter, one of the leaders in the church, said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept money for yourself, some, kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? I guarantee you that was not the response Ananias was looking for. I mean, so listen, church can get awkward sometimes. We, we understand that. But can you imagine? Like, he shows up, gives the money. Peter, now we don't know how Peter knew this. I think the Holy Spirit put it in his heart. And Peter says, hey, Ananias, why are you so filled with the lie of Satan that you wanted to lie to God? Awkward, right? He calls him out. It's kind of like we're sitting here and we're, we're passing the offering and I'm like, hey, 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 Bob, Bob. Huh? You told me Sunday that you got a bonus check and you were giving it all to the church. I see five hundred, not a thousand. You know, you're lying. Would that not make everybody a little uncomfortable, right? But so Peter says, "Hey, listen, you're not telling the truth." And he says, "But then, then here, here's what's cool, though. Here's what he says. He says, didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but you've lied to God." He says, listen, you didn't have to give any of the money. It was all voluntary. Nobody forced Ananias to do this. Nobody forced him to give 100% of the proceeds. He could have made an arrangement with God, made a vow to God, a commitment to God, that God, I'm going to sell this and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take 30%, but God, I'm giving 70%. And he could have showed up and he could have said, listen, here's the money that God has led me to give from the sale of this property. But he didn't do that. He came showing up saying, I've given everything. And he tried to deceive others, and he tried to deceive God. And Peter calls him out. 
And Peter says, why is your heart so filled with lies and deceit? Why would you try to trick people? Why would you try to deceive people? Why would you try to have this appearance of generosity, this appearance of godliness, when in reality your heart is the, it's the furthest thing from being godly in this moment? Look at verse 5. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and he died. Says it right there. He fell down and he died. Right there. Dead. Now look what happens. He says, great fear seized all who heard what had happened. You think? Can you imagine the guy that didn't show up that Sunday or whenever they did this because he told Peter he had, he was sick, but he was really fishing? Can you imagine him hearing this and saying, dude fell dead because he died? Oh my gosh. Like, can you imagine, you know, can you imagine that? Right? He says that he fell down and he died when confronted with the truth. And then it says this, then some young men came forward, they wrapped up his body and carried him out and he buried him. You ever wonder where churches got cemeteries from? Why there's a cemetery at a church? Started right here. It's convenient. And some of you guys are offended because you're like, my grandma did not lie to God. She was buried there because we bought the plot. No, that's not, I'm not saying your grandma did that, but like, we don't know that they had a cemetery in the church. I'm just saying like, but they just went and buried him, right? Now, I'm all about the God of love and grace. I'm a little more leery about the God that struck the guy dead for lying. But the story continues. About three hours later, his wife comes in, probably wondering, where is he? Not knowing what had happened. So she has no idea of what's going on. She walks in, and Peter asks her this question. Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Now, can you imagine if there were people that were there the first time who hear Peter ask her this question, and they're going, don't tell, tell the truth, tell the truth, tell the truth, tell the, you know, right? But what does she say? Yes, she said, that's the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are also at the door. And they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Why would Luke put that in the story? To make it hard for pastors? To make it uncomfortable when we're reading the Bible? Or could it be that there's, there's, there's a lesson that, that God's wanting us to understand from this account? You know, there's a couple things that, that come to mind. I think the first one is this. Is we can never, never allow a mindset that says that God doesn't take sin seriously. God is pardon the pun, drop dead serious about sin. That sin is so destructive in your life, in my life, that God wants us to understand that sin brings death. Sometimes immediate, but more often it's the slow rot of the soul. And that if we don't view our sin as serious, 
If we don't view the fact that God loves you and loves me enough to tell me there's certain things that I don't need to be doing, there's certain things that I don't need to be giving my life to, there's certain things that I don't need to say yes to, he loves us enough for us to want to know that so much that he wants us to understand that sin will always come and consequence will always be there. That when you sin, there's a consequence. And that sin was paid for by Jesus Christ for your sin and my sin. It's not a flannel graph story at VBS. When you sin, when I sin, the only way that we've been forgiven is it costs the very blood and the life and death of Jesus Christ. God wants us to understand that sin is serious. It's not something to play around with. And the sin of lying and deceitfulness, the sin of trying to present ourselves as godly when inside we're dead, God says that's going to bring nothing to your life but trouble. And so as we talk about the grace and the love and the mercy of God, we've got to also talk about the fact that God is holy and just. And that sin is real. And that there's a consequence when we choose the opposite of what God has for us. I think another thing is this, is that I think that it's important that God responded this way in his understanding. Because he didn't want the church to be full of lies and deceit. That he knew that the unity that comes that allows the power of God to work in such a way that there were no needy people among them would be destroyed if lies and deceit and sin and fake holiness and all that kind of stuff became a reality in the church. Because we see it. We we, we can look at a church and we can say, and look around and say, man, that church has it all together. When in reality, that church is actually dead. And it's hard to judge because we can do the same thing in our life. We can give the appearance that we're godly, the appearance that we're holy. The, we can do all the right things, but inside our heart is still filled with sin, deceit, and lies. And God loves us enough to want to be so serious about it that he wants us to understand that that's not his plan for you. That's not his best for you. And so God wants us to understand that sin is serious and that lies and deceit will get us nowhere positively. That that lie, that deceit, that appearance, that, that fake reality you present, it may fool some people for a while, but in the end, it will always come back to the truth. But I think he's also wanting to teach us this. I want you to write this down. He wants us to understand the true heart of Generosity. That generous giving is expressed in our actions, but it's truly established in our heart. The generous giving, this call of generosity, that yes, it's expressed in our actions. You can't be generous without being generous. You can't be a generous giver without giving generously. But that giving and the outward action of generosity is not where generosity truly begins. That generosity truly begins and is established in our heart. That's why Peter, or Luke wanted to make sure and point out, and why Peter pointed out in this passage that it was the heart of Ananias that was wrong. 
It wasn't the, necessarily just the action. He said, listen, you don't want to lie. But he said, why is your heart filled with evil? Because if we want to be generous, if we want to be willing to say yes to God in every way that he calls us, we've got to recognize that it's not just an outward action type of thing, but it comes back first and foremost to our heart. Dr. David Jeremiah, a pastor and author, says it this way. He says, the generosity is not what's in your pocket, but it's what's in your heart. You know, there are times in my life where, where I've, I've been more generous than others. Just being honest with you. And what I find myself doing when I, when I struggle with maybe saying yes to God about generosity and, and you know, doing, doing things above and beyond that I need to be doing with my stuff and not being focused on myself, the thing that I find myself thinking about and kind of talking about is, is this sometimes, is, well, you know what, if I had more, then I would be more generous. God, if I got that raise, then I would be more generous because I would have more money. God, once my kids get out of the house and I don't have to pay for them anymore, well, then I'll start being generous to other people. Or maybe we say, if God, if I didn't have this going on, then I would be more generous. So if I didn't have this debt, God, I'd be more generous. If I didn't have these school payments, I'd be more generous. If I didn't have, you know, to this, this other thing going on, I'd be more generous. But here's the reality, is while there's a reality to the ability that when we have uh, stuff in abundance, then we can actually give more of that, but it doesn't work like that. That we can be generous with a little, but we can also be selfish and stingy with a lot. That if you're waiting to get more to be generous, the chances are you're not going to be generous with more. You're going to be just as generous as you are with a little as you can as you would be with a lot. That's why Jesus talks about this reality and this, this truth. He says that those who have been faithful with a little, they'll be trusted with more. Why? Because it's not about how much, it's about the posture of our heart. I think it's interesting how in these passages, Luke didn't talk about how much the property was worth. What if Barnabas' property and his gift was half of what Ananias was going to give? Would that matter to how you viewed their generosity? But it was the fact that they gave as God led. Because if you want to be generous, if, we, if we're going to be generous people, we've got to realize that it's a heart thing long before it's a finances thing. That's why Jesus always, we always come back to this truth. It was like when Jesus was asked what was most important and he said, this is most important, he actually meant this is most important. Because it always comes back to Matthew chapter 22. Jesus said, he was asked, what's the most important thing to following God, living for him? And Jesus said this. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. He said, listen, that if you want to follow God, it starts in the heart. It starts with a heart that loves God, that values God. And then he says, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. If we want to be generous, we want to be obedient, we want to be full and have fullness in our life and following God, it, it begins in our heart long before it ever plays itself out in our actions. So we can try to fix the actions, but if we never fix the heart, we're never going to get to the core of the problem. And Jesus connects the two together. Proverbs 4.23 says this, Above all else, guard your heart. Why? For everything you do flows from it. 
That's why Jesus was so focused, and you read time and time again in the Bible, that Jesus was so focused on the heart of people. Because there were some that had an appearance of godliness, but their hearts were wicked. And Jesus wants more than just our actions and our religion and our duties. He wants our heart. Because when he changes our heart, that's when we really experience the change he wants to bring to our life. Because, see, our heart will signify what we value the most. And what we value the most will determine what we value in our actions. See, the reason why we struggle with generosity, the reason why we struggle with sin in our life in many different areas, is because of this equation. Kind of look at this. It is because naturally we have a tendency to view me as greater than Jesus. That when we say, what's the most important thing really in our life? What's our biggest focus? What's our biggest you know, determining factor of making decisions? A lot of times it will be, honestly, if we're honest, it's, it's me. And that if we live a me is greater than Jesus life, then he says here that it's going to make the connection that we're also going to live a me is greater than others life. Because the more I love God, the more I'm going to love others. The less I love God, the less I'm going to love others. The more I love and value myself, it's only natural that I'm going to love and value myself more than others. And so you can't just decide to be generous if at your heart and core, you live me as greater than Jesus. So what we need to do is flip that. That a true heart for God says, no, 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 Jesus is greater than me. That the most important thing in my life is not me, it's Jesus. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That he's the most important thing. And when when Jesus becomes greater than me, then guess what's more likely to happen? Others will be greater than me. It's extremely hard to live a selfless life when all we do is focus on ourselves. And see, I think what, what Luke is wanting to communicate in this story is, listen, God takes sin seriously. There's a consequence to it. That lies and deceit are going to bring nothing to your life except trouble. But the reality is this, that if you want to follow God, if you want generosity and all these things we're looking at, it begins in the heart. And we've got to learn that what we value really makes a difference. Look at Philippians 2, 3 through 4. Paul says this. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. It's a value thing. It's a what's in your heart kind of thing. Write this down. If we want to be known for generous giving, if we want to be known as Jesus' people who give, then we have to learn the value of selfless living. We're never going to be generous if we're focused on ourselves. We're never going to be as generous as God desires, let me rephrase that, if we're focused only on ourselves. See, Paul said it this way, Philippians 1.21. He said, for to me, living means living for Christ. He said, the most valuable thing in my life he wasn't perfect, but this was his striving, his goal, his, his, his focus. He said, for me to live, it's Christ. 
that life, value, purpose, hope, focus, it's got to be about Jesus. And he said, in dying, that only brings me gain. Because when Jesus is the most important thing in our life, even when our life ends here, we get to spend eternity with the one who is most important. See, Jesus' people are givers. They're known for their generosity. But that only happens in our life when we begin with our heart. Listen, if you have a problem being generous, I'll say we because I struggle with that too. If we have a problem being generous, it's probably a heart thing. We're not loving God and loving others the way we could be. And as Luke pointed out, the reason why these people were able to do what they were able to do was because they had a heart that was focused on God and others. So here's the takeaway. What do I practically do? Well, I think number one, we practically have to, to search our hearts. It's gonna be, I've, there's like A before one on the list. We've got to let God search our heart. We've got to say, God, is, is my heart positioned toward you and toward valuing you and others more than myself? And if not, God, would you help me to become that type of person? But then what are the practical things we can do? First one is this. See a need, meet a need. You don't need other people to facilitate generosity in your life. That there are needs that you're going to come across every single day that you could take a step to meet. Big needs, small needs, like that just is a, a part of generosity. You know, in the context of the story, they brought their gifts to the church, and the church distributed that. And that's really the, the second thing. But before that, generosity is about just seeing a need and meeting a need. What can you do to help somebody out who has a need? Why does it always have to be somebody else who steps in and meets the need? You can do that. That's part of generosity. See a need, meet a need. Second is this is you can support River Club Church through giving. You know, as a church, here's our mission. Our mission is to help all people experience life in Jesus. Experiencing life means we want to serve them physically. We want to serve them relationally. We want to serve them spiritually. We want to serve them mentally. Like, we want to help people who have needs. And we do that in all kinds of different ways. You know, they brought to the church, and the church helped meet needs through the gifts of the people. I know people don't like talking about money at church, but here's the reality. If we're just being honest, ministry requires money. There's no other way around it. And the truth is, is that the way God is going to fund ministry and the way he always has is through the church. The church, the individuals and families in the church generously give to the mission of the church so then the mission of the church can go and be funded to do what God's called it to do. So if you're like, well, I don't know a need. I don't see a need. How can I support? How can I be generous? Give to the church, the ones who God established and said, this is going to be my hands and feet and how I'm going to do the ministry and mission of what I'm called to do. Third thing is this, and this is a, kind of a different one. You can sign up. You can sign up to meet tangible needs within our church and our community. Listen, Every single day just about, I'd probably say multiple times a week at least, that we get calls to the church from people who have a need. People who are in our church call our church. People who are in our community call our church. 
I mean, looking for everything from help paying an electric bill. You know, can, is there somebody who can give me a ride to a doctor? You know, hey, we, we're adopting, and we just found out we're getting a little, a little girl, a little boy. And, and is anybody in the church have any a, a baby bed we can have? Or I mean, it can be any little thing like that. And, and you know, so often we're, we, as a, as a church, we, we struggle. Like, okay, well, who do we kind of ask? You know, how do we get this need out there? Well, we're wanting to create this group called the Love Does Group, and, and, and it's this that love does what love requires. That's the whole point. And so if you're using this, this new flock note thing we've been talking about as a way for you to find out what's going on, if, if you feel like you want to be a part of knowing some of these tangible needs and then actually doing something to meet these needs as God leads you, then all you got to do is this. Text the word love does to 84576. Text the word love does to 84576. And here's what's going to happen. We're, this is an experiment. We don't know if it's going to work or not, but we think it might. Is that when... We come across needs when people share needs with us that we believe people in our church can can tangibly meet. Then we're going to send out a couple times a week saying, "Hey, listen, we've got a person who who this. We've got a family in need of that. We've we've got people who who need some meals. We you know whatever." And then as you see that and God leads you, we'll give you a way to reply back, and you can actually meet that need. Basically, it's 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 a digital bulletin board. We thought, well, let's just get a bulletin board and let's kind of put it up somewhere in the church. But we said, where? And nobody's going to go to the bulletin board after two weeks. They're going to forget about it. But you always have your phone. So if you want to help out with that, it's a very tangible way. We want to be the church to the church and the community. You know, how is God calling you to grow in that generosity, to grow in that giving? It begins with our heart. You know, as we respond in this time and we move into this, this season of response, we're, we're going to sing a song that says, here's my heart, Lord. It's a, it's a prayer of just saying, God, I, I want you to have the core of who I am. And it might be that today that's the, that's the step that you need to take so that you can not only bless others through being generous, but God can bless you. And that we can continue to be known as a generous church, a giving church, a church with incredibly big hearts. Will you stand and pray with me? Father God, we, uh, <clears throat> we come this morning. And God, I know that this week you've challenged me in, in some of the, the ways I view things and view the things that I have in my life and, and the stuff that you've blessed me with. And God, as, as I choose to be generous, as a family, we choose to be generous, God. We, we, we want to never stop growing in that generosity. But God, we know that it's going to require you to, to make sure our heart's in the right place. So God, as we sing this song together as a, a faith community, as a family here, God, we, we, we sing it to you in all honesty. God's saying, we want you to change our hearts. Not just so we can be generous. We want you to change our hearts so that we can be fully yours. That we can say no to sin. We can choose the best. We can know you more and more closely. And God, you can do 
extraordinary things in our ordinary lives. God, work in this time. In Jesus' name.